Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hollywood is determined to convince young people that all evil is rooted in male leadership, the patriarchy, and that America must be remade to protect the world. Only women can save the world from the tribalism and the brutality of men. Winter is coming. Remember the clever Game of Thrones allegory about the perils of ignoring climate change? House of the Dragon, the new HBO show, doubles down on the parable when King Vissery warns his daughter about the White Walkers. George R.R. Martin, the Northwestern J School grad rejects American exceptionalism and the success of the American experiment. The Dragon Show, the Dragons, they're a stand-in for American military might. King Vissery explained to his daughter that the Targaryens' hold on power is based on the myth that they can control the dragons. The unstated truth is the dragons control the Targaryens just as the military-industrial complex controls America. House of the Dragon's hardship rebuke is saved for motherhood. The show portrays childbirth as a burden, not a blessing. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Monday uh, to you and yours. Uh, happy, I hope you guys had a great weekend. Uh, I certainly did, had a relaxing, good workout weekend. Ate pretty good, although I gotta admit, I'm, I need to confess, I had a piece of fried chicken on Saturday. <laughs> it was awesome, it was awesome. It's just a piece of fried chicken, though. Uh, and anyway, I had a good weekend, had great workouts, and now I'm refreshed here. It's on Monday. Uh, last night, like a lot of Americans that are a little bit addicted to television and uh, have this old love affair with HBO and all the HBO shows, I watched House of the Dragons last night, and we're going to talk about it today. Uh, we may also squeeze in an update on Aqib Tlaib and the Mike Hickman story. Uh, but May is the key word here because uh, I got a full discussion I want to unpack on House of the Dragons, the new HBO show, and I'm going to do it in studio with Jill Savage. Uh, we've, you've seen Jill on the show before. Uh, we got a new member of the Fearless Army who's been with us since January, but I think is making her on-camera debut today, Tiffany Odom. Uh, she's my assistant. She does our uh, makeup. Uh, she's the show's assistant. Uh, she watched House of the Dragons. She's a Game of Thrones fan. And so uh, she'll be here to give us a fan's eye view of the show. And the Korean Cosell, Steve Kim, he's going to join us from L.A. He watched House of the Dragon last night as well. Uh, so we have a fantastic show uh, that starts where all these shows try to start. And that's with a fire and a fire starter. Uh, so let's get into it. <clears throat> Unlike its predecessor, HBO's House of the Dragon, the much-anticipated prequel to Game of Thrones, 
does not conceal its feminist grooming agenda. Within the first 15 minutes of, of its Sunday debut, House of the Dragon revealed its conceit. Man's subjugation and oppression of women began thousands of years ago and extended all the way to the fantasy world. Like any decent, devout atheist, American novelist George R.R. R. Martin, the author of the books that inspired Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, believes the life, fate, and man dealt women an awful hand. House of the Dragons begins with its female narrator, Renaria Targaryen, explaining her father's rise to ruler of the realm as a triumph of sexism over birthright. King Viserys, the George W. Bush of Westeros, was appointed king over his more qualified female cousin, Rhaenys Targaryen, the Hillary Clinton of Westeros. Rhaenys is finally referred to as the queen who never was. Shortly after that explanation, 15-year-old Renaria Targaryen flies into camera view on the back of a dragon sailing between the clouds. She lands back at King's Landing, dismounts, and greets her more feminine and commonly best friend, Alicent Hightower. The sexual tension between the two is subtle but obvious. From there, Renaria visits her bedridden and pregnant mother, Queen Annie Emma. Renaria complains that the gaggle of midwives focus on the child in the womb, not her swollen mother. Queen Annie Emma tells her daughter, babies are how we serve the realm. Renaria retorts, I'd rather serve as a knight and ride to battle in glory. Renaria identifies as a man, she's trans, or maybe she's just a lesbian. While picnicking outside, head planted in Allison's lap, Renaria confesses, I wanna fly with you on Dragonback, see the great wonders across the narrow sea, and eat only cake. The first episode of The House of the Dragon is Drag Queen Story Hour for feminist groomers. There's little reason to expect the show to pivot. Game of Thrones waited five seasons before swallowing narrative blockers and transitioning away from Tyrion Lannister as the underdog hero to Arya Stark as baby Wonder Woman and Night King Assassin. House of the Dragon shows no such patience. It dials the calendar back 172 years to unearth the original sins that doomed King's Landing, Westeros, the Seven Kingdoms, and the realm. Hollywood is determined to convince young people that all evil is rooted in male leadership, the patriarchy, and that America must be remade to protect the world. Only women can save the world from the tribalism and brutality of men. Winter is coming. Remember the clever Game of Thrones allegory about the perils of ignoring climate change? House of the Dragon doubles down on the parable when King Viserys warns his daughter about the White Walkers. George R.R. R. Martin, the Northwestern J School grad, rejects American exceptionalism and the success of the American experiment. The dragons are a stand-in for American military might. King Viserys explained to his daughter that the Targaryens' hold on power is based on the myth that they can control the dragons. The unstated truth is the dragons control the Targaryens just as the military-industrial complex controls America. House of the Dragons' harshest rebuke is saved for motherhood. 
The show portrays childbirth as a burden, not a blessing. Queen Annie Emma dies a painful, brutal, and pointless death giving birth to King Viserys' male heir. The baby dies hours later. King Viserry chose a delivery procedure that sentenced his wife to death but gave his male son the best chance of survival. House of the Dragon is pro-choice. The critics obviously loved it. The Los Angeles Times reviewer wrote, <clears throat> the exchange between mother and daughter and the artful contrast of dueling knights and dutiful midwives are powerful enough on their own to render the first episode a smashing success and show that the House of the Dragon has a depth of understanding of its female characters that Game of Thrones took years to find. But it doesn't stop there. In a moment that reflects some of the ugly realities of our own world, it is men who ultimately decide the queen's fate, choosing the baby's life over hers. Mm. Uh, the New York Times reviewer, well, he gushed, or she gushed, I don't know who it was. They gushed, them gushed. <laughs> As an exploration of the social contract in a decadent monarchy and an allegory for a grab bag of modern ills, including patriarchal sexism and the corrosive effect of weapons of mass destruction, House of the Dragon is reasonably smart and well put together. The anger of Renaria and other female characters at the practical and sometimes violently physical price they pay for being a woman is presented in believable and often moving ways. The overriding theme of royal secession is illustrated with three agonizing scenes of childbirth in just six episodes. We're being groomed. That's the point of all modern art and entertainment. Men are scum. We're the root of all evil. It's the antithesis of a biblical worldview. The Bible says Eve listened to Satan, ate from the forbidden tree, and fed it to Adam. Popular culture argues man is the serpent in the garden. He and his ways are to be avoided. Men, believers and non-believers, are selling this message. George R.R. Martin is no lone wolf. He has an army of male collaborators. They litter the political conversation. However, Martin's most effective co-conspirators speak from Christian pulpits. They preach an egalitarian gospel. They've made themselves idols. They're unwilling to model the behavior of confession and repentance that leads to salvation. They've surrendered to popular culture. Fear of the discovery of their sins has emasculated and silenced them. They're biblical eunuchs. House of the Dragon is the latest choir to sing the praises of a secular, global world order led by women in pantsuits. This will be Hillary Clinton's favorite television show. They might as well have called it House of Hillary, House of Whores, House of Feminist is what I'm calling it. Uh, that is my fire. Uh, I can't wait to discuss this. This is, you know, again, I'm sure there's some of you, some of my critics read my column today, listened to this fire starter, said, of course, that sexist pig, Jason Whitlock, that's what he thought. How else? That, that, the whole thing is a shot at Jason Whitlock and men who think like him. And that's why uh, we're going to have two women in studio with me today to see what they think. And I have no idea. 
Uh, they, they don't have to agree with me. Uh, that's the beauty of this show. So I can't wait to hear from Jill Savage and Tiffany Odom. And I can't wait to hear from the Korean Cosell, uh, Steve Kim, a, a culture critic himself. Uh, before we do that, I'm going to take care of a little business and then we're going to broaden out and widen this discussion and bring others into the discussion. Uh, how much would you be paying if you locked, if you're locked in your, if you locked in your car payment when you bought it, your first car? Imagine if you paid the same amount for your current car as you did for your 1980 Toyota Camry. It would be too good to be true. But too good is what Good Ranchers does. They're letting you lock in your price on all the meat you buy, all of it. When you subscribe, your price does not go up for the life of your subscription. A year from now, when meat goes up by another 20, 30, or 50%, this will be the thing you wish you had done. Every item is steakhouse quality and sourced directly from American farms and ranches. And you can pause or cancel anytime you need to. Just use my code FEARLESS today and get your box for $30 off plus free shipping. The only thing you'll love more than the prime steaks, better than organic chicken, and the superior seafood of Good Ranchers is the price you get to pay for it forever. Head on over and subscribe now to lock in your price. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Mm. Uh, guys, you know what you should be feeding your fearless soldiers. Feed them Good Ranchers. They support you, me, and what we believe in. They probably hated House of the Dragon the same way I did. Although, although I got mixed. I think it was entertaining. But anyway, we'll get into that. Order Good Ranchers. Do, do that. And you can email me feedback at fearless at theblaze.com. Email me feedback. I think we've rigged it up so these emails get forwarded directly to me. Uh, at theblaze.com, fearless at theblaze.com. All right, Jill Savage, Steve, Kim, and Tiffany Odom. It's my obligation to hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Uh, listen, I have to admit, uh, I love the original Game of Thrones. I love the first season uh, as much as I, any show that I've ever watched on TV, including The Wire. Did it sustain The Wire level of greatness? No. Were there aspects of uh, Game of Thrones that I didn't like? I'm really not into the fantasy stuff. I'm not, I wasn't into the dragons. I wasn't into the White Walkers. But I loved Game of Thrones because it was about what men and women were willing to do for power, in pursuit of power. And, and I thought the story applied to all aspects of modern society. It was just a clever way of telling uh, you know, the same story that we're all living through. And so Game of Thrones skidded off the road. I started calling it out in season six started calling out real strong in season seven. And by the time season eight got here and everybody realized, wow, this is really bad, uh, the show skidded off the road. But, but the first five seasons were so good that I was, I am somewhat looking forward to uh, House of the Dragon. Watched last night, and I'm a little less enthusiastic because as I said in my Firestarter, Game of Thrones didn't reveal its woke agenda 
early on. Uh, Ned Stark and all the things that were going on, Tyrion Lannister is kind of the hero, all the things that were going on didn't have that woke feel. And then I started seeing the wokeness creep in and next thing Khaleesi's the greatest thing in the world and little tiny Arya Stark is the most courageous person. She's baby Wonder Woman and next thing you know she's killing the, the Night King and uh, the whole point of the show is, you know, it's a girl power deal and, and I don't know, maybe that makes me a sexist pig. I don't know, it just got stupid. And uh, last night, they picked up where Game of Thrones left off, in my opinion, but you, you just heard me rant about it for 10 minutes. And so uh, I want to bring uh, Steve Kim in from Los Angeles and Jill Savage and Tiffany Odom that are here in studio with me. And, and so, guys, I, I want to I just start with a generic, very generic. We're reviewing a television show. Let's just start here. And we'll start with Jill, then Tiffany, and then Steve will ask, ask you, was last night's show any good? Was it enjoyable? I'll pick up where you left off on the end of Game of Thrones, right? And all of the women and the girl power stuff, everybody inherently knew that show got bad. So I think everybody, whether they want to say they agree with Jason Whitlock or not, Everybody saw it for what it was, and it really did just go back, and I know this is the prequel, so it's not following in the footsteps, but Game of Thrones was laid out first, so we all, we all know what, what this is coming off of. And the fact that, I, I'm right there with you, they didn't wait for a woke agenda. Every show now has to have a lesbian, transgender, something or other, and that was a very apparent from that first episode, and just kind of looking through it, of course I enjoyed it because it felt like the nostalgia of the Game of Thrones, the dragons, the the great scenes when the dragons are flying over and you see the whole town again and, and everybody's talking about Westeros and you, you kind of get those feelings and emotions back. But knowing that he wrote this book, Fire and Rain, was the name? Oh, Fire and Blood, um, in 2018, and this is the updated version of what he was doing back with the original series. I don't know. I just I look at it and I said, there's definitely going to be we're going to go further faster. It's not going to take as long, I feel like, for this one to get off the rails. I, I, I'm going to say this for Tiffany. I do think last night, despite everything that I said, I think it was good because it gets at the aspects that I loved about Game of Thrones. There's going to be this mad fight for power. Who's gonna succeed? King Viserys, King Vir he's kind of weak. And so it's like, I don't know if any of you know succession, uh, but uh, succession is basically some kind of spoof or spinoff on Rupert Murdoch or, or whatever, and it's about who's gonna replace Rupert Murdoch, this media mogul. And, and this is just a different version of that and so it the, the stuff that the palace intrigue and the politics is what I love most about Game of Thrones. And last night's episode focused entirely on that. And so I did find it enjoyable, even though the messaging I completely disagreed with. I am not the hugest Game of Thrones fan, but I watch it because everyone else watches it. I don't go into it with any expectations. I didn't see a lot of the views that you saw because I was just watching it just platonically as a normal viewer. But I come to work and I'm like, I can see some of the things that you're talking about. Um, 
whenever the woman had the baby, I could not believe that they just took the baby because it was a boy and didn't give her an option. But did you enjoy it? Though? I enjoyed it because I enjoyed Game of Thrones. Gotcha. But I was constantly like texting my brother trying to figure out he knows more than I do. So we, our banter is what makes it fun for me. Mm. All right. Uh, Steve Kim, uh, was last night what we watched, was that any good? Uh, it was okay. And I am someone that watched every episode of Game of Thrones, but I'm not one of those guys that actually knows all the character names. Like Tyrion Lannister was always the short little guy to me. Um, the eunuch was the guy that didn't have his thing. There was the dragon lady. Varys. Yeah, right. So obviously the you're at a higher level. You, obviously you're at a higher level of Dungeon Dragons knowledge than I am. But I, I, I thought it was okay. I, I mean, look, are you surprised by the way they are hitting certain issues and agendas? I go back to an old tagline with this network now, and it has a, it has a whole different meaning. It's not TV. It's HBO. Remember that ad campaign they had about 20, 25 years ago? Nowadays, every show basically on home box office will have a theme. Now, in terms of did I enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, I may stick around. Um, maybe if we're going to discuss this weekly like a book club, my duty to Blaze will embolden me to like invest an hour or so of my life on a Sunday. Wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But in terms of the other programs that I'm watching on HBO or Showtime, I, I don't think it's as enjoyable as, in, uh, let's say, Succession I'm looking forward to. But the current show that I'm really watching right now on HBO's industry, don't know if you watched that, and City on a Hill on Showtime. But did I enjoy it? Yes. I actually did enjoy a couple of scenes that were very, very much reminiscent of the current time frame. And I don't think there's any doubt that they were making a social commentary. All right, well, go ahead. What, what were those scenes? What did you pick okay. up? All right, let, let's, let's go kind of uh, chronological order. Love Damon. Love Damon. I mean, that is a hard ass. That is a leader. And you know a couple things about Damon, who's already become my Hold favorite. for one second. Hold for one second. Let me explain to people who Damon is. He is the king's brother and clearly wants power. Mm. And, yes. you know, uh, the hand of the king is afraid that Damon's willing to kill the king in order to get that power. Uh, he's basically the King Joffrey of this season of House of House of Thrones. He's the bad guy that everybody's going to come to love to hate or hate to love or whatever. Uh, and King Joffrey's from the original Game of Thrones. Hey, I, if you haven't watched it, you don't. There's no way for me to explain it. But anyway, now go. I mean, why do you think? Who do you you think he's the Donald Trump of this show? It's not even that. I love the fact he gets into his gold guard, the gang, and he says, hey, guys, this city here, it's, it's declining. It's falling into a state of disrepair, and every form of crime is allowed. So I'm thinking, oh, so that city must be run by Democrats. Ah, their policies are universal and timeless. So he goes in there, and he cleans up crime, and it reminds me of these old DAs. Remember when me and you were growing up, Jason? Every politician back when we grew up, they all said, we're going to get tough on crime. He got so tough, he dismembered people. Now, I think that's a little bit far, but let me just tell you something. As a law-abiding citizen, 
Not going to disagree too much. Not going to disagree too much because nowadays every politician right. about crime reform and justice hated that. Now, the other scene, the birthing scene. Hold, hold, how- hold on. Don't go to the other scene yet. Don't go to the other scene yet. I want to spend a second and unpack. So basically you're calling uh, Damon the Vic Mackey if you've seen The Shield. Uh, if you've seen Vic Mackey's approach to cleaning up South Central Los Angeles in the shield, that's kind of what you got there. Yeah, well, I haven't, but all I, all I can say is thumbs up to Vic Mackey. Get the job done. You see what's going on <laughs> across the country? I'm all for Vic Mackey. Never seen the guy, but if you vouch for him, thumbs up. Now, let me get to the other scene. Steve, let me ask you one more. Let me ask you one more follow-up because, and I don't, did, did you guys see The Sopranos or The Wire? Yeah. You didn't see The Sopranos, Tiffany? No. My God. I can't. <laughs> Who hasn't seen The Sopranos? Uh, the Wire is the best show in the history of TV. Cosine. But listen, if you go back and rewatch The Sopranos and The Wire, you'll see the woke stuff in there. It, was, mm. now, it wasn't front and center the way TV makes it now, but... Uh, you know, if you take The Wire, and again, it's my favorite show. I, 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 it's, the, it's a novel on TV, but it's not a coincidence that the hero of that show is Omar Little, who's gay. Uh, it's not a, uh, a coincidence that the person they portrayed as having the most integrity on the show was Kima, a gay black woman. Uh, it, these aren't coincidences, and, and so, and The Sopranos, I know you got, I mean, I went through season five or six when they, when they went crazy with Johnny Cakes, Vito Spatafor, uh, the fat gay. That came from out of nowhere. In previous seasons, Vito was trying to get in the panties of Christopher's girlfriend, Ariana, uh, I forget, I forget Chris's girlfriend's name, but anyway, was trying to get in her pants, and then all of a sudden he does this wild pivot that he's the fat gay mobster, and to me that that someone came in and told David Chase, the creator of The Sopranos, hey, hey, dude, you gotta put a gay storyline in here. That's the direction Hollywood is going, and so I'm sitting here beating up Game of Thrones and. Uh, House of Dragons for, for the narrative arc that they went down, but these other shows that are my favorites of all time gave in to the same forces and pressures years ago. We all know who's writing the scripts of these shows, and it's not anybody with conservative values. That's not an area that somebody that is conservative says, oh, you know what, what I really need to do, what I'm going to grow up to do, I'm going to write screenplays for a living, and I'm going to see if I can just go out there and and get one that hits and and makes it big in Hollywood. They're going to go out there, and they're, you know, lawyers and business people and doing other, you know, not not 100%, but that's just as a generality, a way of, of the leftist creative brains, that's, that's something that they see and they say, okay, if I, if I have to struggle for a while, no big deal because I'll, I'll find one and I'll, I'll get the agenda that I want into the mainstream. And there's a lot of people around them that say, oh, I read that. That's something that we want to push out and promote. All right, just very quickly so I can summarize and have a clear picture of what we thought of last night's episode. On a scale of one to 10, 
10 obviously being the highest. Think of your favorite episodes of a show. Don't think of how's it compared to my favorite show of all time, but just as an episode on a scale of one to 10, what would you call last night's episode? I'll go first, Tiffany, Jill, and then Steve, you can have the final say on this. So on a scale of one to 10, I would call last night seven and a half. I was gonna give it a seven. Seven, all right. Yeah. Initially, I thought six, but I could be I could be leaning towards a seven and upper six if I would. Steve, I'll give it a five because I think they missed something with all the pandering. Um, by the way, Damon is a great boss. See the way he takes his boys out. That's a boss. That's a leader <laughs> of men. <laughs> they, no, his guys are having a good time now. When, when, <laughs> what did when, they miss? When the queen was having her baby. And I'm thinking, I guess what they should do if they want to pander to the 21st century. If that baby ended up being a girl, just say two seasons from now, well, well, this girl identifies as a male. There's your heir. Boom. Got it. <laughs> Boom. Problem solved. You've got your heir. That's it, right? Uh, all right. Did you agree right on that? All that's, right. Now that's let's. I would have gone. Me. And I think they kind of did that with his 15-year-old daughter, I, I thought. Mm -hmm. And so I'll just transition right there. I thought they were a bit over the top with establishing in the first 15 minutes. When she hops off that dragon in her first scene on air, 15-year-old hops off this dragon and to greet what it felt like, is this her girlfriend waiting for her? Like, honey, I got dinner here. Uh, welcome home. You had a hard day at work, baby. Look at, can't wait for you to try this pot roast I just made. And, and I thought just from that very moment, and maybe I'm watching way too cynical, I was like, oh, here they come. Here they, they, already, they already got the agenda working. <laughs> and then by the time they show them walking hand in hand through the palace, like boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm like, whoa, boy, they're really, and then by the time they go out and picnic and she's got head in lap and telling her, oh, I just want to fly on a dragon and see the narrow sea and the wonders of the world with you and just eat cake and let's toss salads and <laughs> just, I was like, what? I mean, that's the only thing they left out was tossing salads. And, and I was just like, they're over the top with it. So I'm gonna ask is Renaria, is she gay? transgender, or perhaps just a closet freak? Might be a closet freak trying to figure it out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's going to be a lot to figure out. I think, though, we're going to see that she's going to be a lesbian because even back then they know there are two genders. We only have two. That's it. Yeah. You know, and people have had, you know, things cut off before. Still a male on the show. <laughs> not, not a, not a non-binary, not anything else. Male. Female, that's it. So I'm gonna stick in the lesbian camp with her. Uh, Steve, gay, transgender, or closet freak? Way switch hitting. Um, I think that's the direction they're going. What I don't understand is, is she the only one that could ride the dragon? I, I get the sense back in medieval times, women weren't even allowed to ride a bike. Yet, yet she's the one that could ride a, ma a dragon. <laughs> and the other thing about the dragon, I'm not into that. I actually like the personal relationship. I still think Ned Starks is my favorite character because it was fascinating to think about loyalty. The only dragon I've ever really liked and not been scared by is Pop the Magic. Outside of that, that other stuff goes into this thing that I'm not really feeling, to be honest with you. 
Um, I'll tell you what was a great scene, though. I will say this. It actually did tug at my heartstrings, is when the queen was laid down, and for her burial or her burning, they had the little body, which made it clear the baby didn't make it. I thought that was actually very well done. I will give them credit for that. But yeah, as for little Riri, I was thinking her and that other girl were just besties. But the way you laid it out, yeah, 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 they're 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 munching carpets. They are. Yeah, I thought I thought See, they were besties at at first, but by the time you get to the picnic scene, yeah, I didn't uh, catch it until you told me this morning. I didn't catch it, but. I, you know, I go into it just as it's a show. And so literally when, when they're walking hand in hand through the palace, nothing. It didn't register for me, but now it does. Now that you lay it out there, it registers. Jason, yeah, you never I, went I, to a school But I told you I'm a little naive. Wait a minute, Jason, you never went to a school. I know, and I know you were a big man on campus in high school. You never went to a school dance where the girls danced in a circle by themselves. And none of them no thought question. that. Was Amen, Steve. Close yes. friends, come on, it happens. There, there's a little bit of a different, now look, if men are dancing with each other, like if I'm doing the running man or the Roger Rabbit <laughs> the guy, they're like, what's going on? Two girls can do something, you're like, oh, they're just close friends. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic. Am I right, ladies? Am I right? Correct. I agree, correct. 100%. Yeah. That's why it took to the picnic scene. And yes. so the picnic scene, that didn't that didn't hit you any kind of way? Uh, when, when her head was on her lap, I started going, like Arsenio Hall said, hmm, yes, yes, that was a tip-off. I admit that was a tip-off. Yes, yes. All right, and so, look, I, I, this is out there in reviews and other places because these professional reviewers had the first six episodes. And so they're going to end up being rivals, that Allison and Renaria end up being rivals. If you, you saw in last night's episode, her dad offered her up to the king, Ugh. and the king's gonna take that deal. Uh, <laughs> and and they're, they're gonna end up being right, because I think she's gonna end up having babies with the king, and so she's gonna want her kids to be the heir to the throne. So uh, doesn't that take your theory away? No, I'm saying Renaria. Oh, Renaria. Allison is, she's just a closet freak, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Allison's for sure the closet freak. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. But Renaria, I think, uh, hits for the other team. But it goes back to power, like you're saying. She wants power. Allison. Allison. Yes. Yeah. That's no, the no, whole show. The, the, and again, that's why I'm going to stick with this despite, because there's a chance that unlike Game of Thrones, this, this show could end up being uh, a slave. It may end up serving the woke feminists first and then pivot and go the other direction where the, the, the Game of Thrones was a kind of a macho male show and then pivoted to the woke deal. Maybe they're just gonna pay a debt to the woke crowd because aren't, Tiffany, you said your brother, who's kind of a nut job on all this stuff, he's saying that uh, Renaris is gonna, she's gonna die relatively they, soon. Yeah, that's what he says. He says he, he is completely the opposite of, I guess he thinks more like the author. You say he's an atheist, right? Yes. My brother is an atheist. Um, his we'll pray views, for him. Go I know, ahead. I pray for him daily. <laughs> but his, he speaks almost like that author speaks. So he's, 
he sees eye to eye with him, although I don't see eye to eye with my brother, but I love the banter. That's why I say I text him yeah. through the whole show to get his point of view because it's interesting. But um, he predicted that she's getting killed or he, he knows. predicted that he knows that or he predicted it. Well, he said that I think he's read the books. Oh, gotcha. All right. So he's he read. says the books are more in depth than the show. Obviously, so he, yeah. he reads the books. Huh. All right. My overall theme here is that the prequel attacks men and attacks America. Uh, I, I, I just think that's crystal clear. Men are the bad guys. Uh, the king forces uh, a birth procedure on his wife that ends up taking her life. Uh, I don't think that's by accident that they're Damon, the brother, is, is a nut job and violent. Uh, the king is, is pretty weak. Uh, and, and, and then I, I, I'm telling you, to me, the whole dragon thing is an allegory for the American military. And, and uh, this seems like a pretty strong attack on men in America. Am I that, did anybody else see it that way? When you said the queen that never was was Hillary, I thought, oh man, that is so spot on. I, I didn't see that part, but now knowing, you know, like we said. This, you didn't see her as well, Hillary? I, I mean, because I, I wasn't that. looking, I was like, okay, let's try and figure out. We know the king is weak. We know the daughter is probably gonna play some very prominent role. They're setting her up for this, you know, jumping off the dragon is the first time you see her. So they're building up a lot of these characters. And I was just like, oh, okay, this, this makes complete sense now. Um, of course, as they're seated at that, the council table, the only woman in the room is the one filling the cups. Oh, the cups need to be filled. Woman, here, hurry up. We, the men have very important things to talk about and discuss and determine. You need to the be The woman here. is a child, by the way. It's right. a 15-year-old child, Renaria. Right. Yeah who is now the heir to the throne yes. at the end of the episode, but at the beginning of the episode, not so much. You didn't see that? You didn't see the, the old woman as Hillary Clinton? You didn't catch that either, Tiffany? I did not catch that. You're gonna make me go back and watch this. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that I was gonna be talking about this or I would be, I've watched it like very hardcore like y'all did, but I just watched it just, gotcha. just to watch and we it. Wanted yeah. that we want that perspective. And so, yeah. Steve, uh, this, this, this show seems like an attack on men in America, and it's a documentary for Hillary Clinton. Look, in the immortal words of the late, great Kevin Samuels, men built civilizations. Men were the leaders. They were not perfect, but they were the leaders. I have a hard time, if you're going to get medieval on this, that back then that a king would say that a young prepubescent daughter is going to be the heir to my throne. This truly is a work of fiction. Let, let's be honest about it, okay? We're not talking about Queen Elizabeth. We're actually talking about someone that's supposed to be a real leader. It doesn't make sense. I'm just going to watch this show and hope that Damon, who's a leader of men, a real go-getter, uh, I want him to just take this whole thing over. You know what I don't like about the king right now? It reminds me of a player's coach. You know what player's coaches do? They don't win enough because they're too nice. <laughs> Guys like him, I'm getting some Nick Saban, young Jimmy Johnson vibes. I'm kind of liking him. <laughs> so, so, Damon, I want you to just swarm the castle, 
rush the gates and do what you do. And, and again, take the boys out for another night. They had a good time. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Steve, I got to say, I kind of like your take uh, and, and the fact you're willing to put it out there <laughs> like that. I'm ready. <laughs> I can't say I'm going to hop on board uh, with Damon. Uh, I mean, did Steve, did, were you cheering for Joffrey? Was this, was, is, how long has this been going on? Are you always okay. like the right. anti-hero? I'll say this about the youngster Joffrey. I love to hate him. I didn't actually root for him because I thought he was a rotten little spoiled brat. But I have to admit, and I think most of America agrees with me, when he was offed, there was a part of me that said, oh, we didn't we didn't want to take it that far. Like, and honestly, he's, one of, he's like a great wrestling heel. It, it kind of reminded me of Roddy Piper. I grew up as a wrestling fan in the 80s, full disclosure. When Roddy Piper was doing Piper's Pit, I loved wrestling. As soon as he turned babyface, I never really watched the WWF again. So I'm not going to lie to you. I love to hate the guy, and I actually hate it that they killed off Joffrey way back when. I will admit that. All right, Steve, hold tight. I want to take care of some business, and then I'm going to engage Jill and Tiffany on the part of the show and discussion I, I really want to get into because I think this show is going out of its way to diminish motherhood and I can't wait to hear what these ladies have to say about that. But first, I want to tell you guys about Blaze Socks. It might still be really hot out there, but I promise you, fall is just around the corner. So why not get ready for cooler months, the midterms, and pumpkin spice latte season with new limited edition socks from the Blaze. They're comfortable, they're fun to show off to your conservative friends, and they're sure to irritate those liberal haters you might wish you didn't even know. There's only one catch, just like Joe Biden's grip on reality. These socks are for a limited time only, and they'll be gone by August 22nd. Kick leftism where it hurts and get Blaze Media's conservative socks today featuring Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, Glenn Beck, and more. You're gonna love them. Go to blazesocks.com and get them before they're gone. Blaze TV subscribers get an extra treat. Use promo code BLAZESUB for 20% off your purchase. That code is only available to Blaze TV subscribers. Again, that's blazesocks.com and use the code BLAZESUB for 20% off. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber, all right, thanks for supporting America, American jobs, and American values. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. Let me uh, return to the part of the discussion I really wanted to get into. I thought... The, 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 the scene with the mother giving birth and uh, the, the scenes before that with her conversation with her mother where motherhood is just basically diminished and her daughter, just like Arya Stark, she wants to be a knight, she wants to go off into battle, she basically wants to be a man at that time. And, and the, the mother is telling her, look, our battlefield is childbirth, 
our contribution to society as babies, and, and the daughter's sitting there like, well, that's terrible. And, and, and then it gets to the point where the man has to choose between what path of childbirth best serves the baby, what path serves the mom, and he chose the path that served the baby, and he lost both. Uh, but I, I thought the message was crystal clear in the show last night. Uh, motherhood sucks. Uh, only losers would choose motherhood. Uh, and, and I really think that was probably the most important message that the show wants to get out. And then when I went and read reviews from people that have seen the first six episodes, I think there are two or three more really gruesome, painful scenes of childbirth in the first six, epi first six episodes. And so the message just seems real clear and, and offends me that motherhood is a burden, not a blessing. But how did that strike, how did it come off to you all? Now that you're putting it that way, I, I saw completely different things than you saw. Oh, what'd you see? Well, I focused on the fact that why the guy chose the baby was because he wanted an heir. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I was focused on more of that stuff. But when you put it out that way about motherhood, it almost makes me think of how women are today. A lot of people are very career oriented and they don't, a lot of people don't choose motherhood. They choose their careers or being a businesswoman or being, as you say, like back then it would have been an heir, but like rising up in a business or a company. Um, but the way you put it, that's what I was envisioning while you were saying. And I think that's, but I think motherhood is a great blessing. Not everyone's fortunate to be a mother, but. Yeah, I, I look at it in a similar way. And I, it, motherhood today is being denounced and, and not, not being promoted the way that it should. And I think that there are now some conservative thought leaders that are actually going out and championing, championing this message now saying, hey, it is okay because these are the images that we see your favorite TV shows, right? Like, look at Friends. Did any of them? Eventually they had kids, but you see them. Oh, no, you just go. You live your life. You do what you want to do that. You know, what? if you want to be a mom, yeah, you can you'll just wait. It'll be fine. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you don't. But we know. Go go forth, get married, have kids. Keep the kingdom going. This is this is the blessings that you get. And I know even our guy Tucker Carlson is like going out there and is like one of the leaders in this now because he's saying, guys, it's great to have kids. What are you going to do when you're old? And of course, your company doesn't want you to have children because that takes your time and your thoughts away from you being a good little worker for our company. If you have kids, yeah, then we're going to have to pay for the health care for all these kids. The workers, uh, of course, at, at that point in time, you're just thinking, oh, this is what we're being taught as society, not realizing the underlying messages from all of this. And, and he goes, what, what are you going to do when you're later in life? Is the work going to fulfill you? And I, when I heard him say that, I, I heard him speak uh, back in Iowa back in June, and I was just like, this is kind of revelationary because nobody is saying this to a large group of people right now, is how are you going to be fulfilled in life beyond just going out, having fun, 
getting a good career. You guys are much younger than Steve and I, but I, I do just in the interest of transparency, we're talking about motherhood, we're talking about parenting, we're, all four of us, we're not parents. Correct. Uh, but I still think we can all speak to this issue. I have regrets, and again, I'm not asking you all to go here. I have regrets about not having kids. Uh, and and it, it's, it's one of the, I certainly prioritized career ahead of family and, you know, made some very poor dating decisions that, you know, I regret now. And, and I had a lot of career success and a lot of people are envious of, of the career I, I've, I've put together. But I, I think this show and, and what's going on in modern popular culture uh, has an even bigger message than motherhood is bad. The, the message of this show to me, I just saw it last night and, and I see it all over pop culture, is like that women have been dealt a bad hand by fate, by life, by men. And, and so I, I'm, I'm wondering, and again, because it's just like the star of this show, the last night and seemed to be the heroine or whatever, uh, Renaria, you know, basically wants the man's life. And so I'm wondering if as women, do you feel like you're disadvantaged or have been given a bad hand in life by being born a woman? No, I don't feel that way. No, I reject the premise, maybe just because I'm a contrarian with other things as well, but I just don't, I grew up thinking that I could do whatever I wanted and be whatever I wanted to be. There, there was never, a, a, you know, like the wokeism, if you will, and just saying, oh, you need to be this, you need to fit into this box. That was never how I was raised. So the New York Times quote that I mentioned in my monologue, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the New York Times, or it's the LA Times, but I'm pretty sure it's the New York Times. As an exploration of societal contract, of the social contract in a decadent monarchy and an allegory for grab bag, blah, 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 House of Dragons, reasonably smart, but the anger, yeah, the anger of Renaria and other female characters at the practical and sometimes violently physical price they pay for being women is presented in believable and often moving ways. And so, and again, the New York Times is writing this and suggesting this to me as like, this applies to modern society, that there's this price women pay just for being women. And there's a focus in, from the Me Too movement to uh, these glass ceilings that women can't shatter and whatever that we have constructed a society that's unfair to women. And, and part of my argument and part of why I reject that is just like <clears throat> a lot of the cultural norms that have driven America have been driven by reality. And the reality of like men in the workforce, if you go before all this modern technology, I don't think women in the 1800s when men were out there busting their ass on a farm and going out hunting and chopping wood and hoeing and doing all this stuff you do on a farm, I don't think women that were homemakers were sitting around going, man, I got a bad deal. I wish I was a man that could go out there 
and, and do all that. I'm not saying they were sitting there going, oh, I got a better deal. I just think they were more accepting of their roles. And so if we go back to these medieval times, <clears throat> I'm just wondering, you know, we've heard from Renara, she'd rather be out in the fields killing each other and jousting with men and killing each other in games, I guess. But I just don't know if most women were sitting around, <laughs> man, they're walking 100 miles to go off and kill each other. Wish I could go. <laughs> See, I grew up doing a lot of guy things. I stayed out in the woods, I built forts, I hunted, I fished, and I didn't learn to cook. So I'm not the best cook, so I missed out on that. But see, I, was, I have brothers and my dad, and my, I, mean, I have my mom, but I just did whatever my brothers did. So I guess I'd be more like her, right? Be out there jousting? <laughs> Is, I, don't... I don't know, I do a lot of guy things. I mean, I'm more of a tomboy, I'd say. Do you, now is that, do you think that's a tomboy thing or is that a southern thing? My, my, it could be a southern thing. My having lived various places, to me, women in the south hunt and fish. Play sports. It, it's a good social thing. It's, it's a good date. <laughs> yeah. If you want to spend time with your man, go fishing with I was so women. sports driven. That's all I knew. Like, I played 14 years. I wanted to play football if they let me, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was sports driven. I mean, I was a sports commentator for however long and very, you know, similar upbringing, I guess. Um, but when you look at what you're talking about, of course, this is the narrative that we're being fed. I just reject it. I don't think that I got a bad deal out of all of this. And I do think that a lot of this changed. We talked before on the show back in the 1970s when everything changed. You used to be able to survive on a one-income household, and now you need two incomes to make it work. So because we're in that different scenario, women feel like they have to go out and provide a little bit more for the family now. Yeah. So, Steve, I'm going to bring you into this. The, 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 the thing that they're doing, I'm going to broaden it out a little bit and relate it to myself. We're in this time where everybody is being convinced, hey, man, you got a bad deal. And so as a black person, allegedly, oh, you got a bad deal. You were born black in America. Yeah. And I completely reject that. At no point in my life have I ever wanted to be anything other than what I was. I didn't feel like being black disadvantaged me. I really didn't. And, and trust me, I know that in maybe in some areas and arenas, uh, maybe it was harder for a black person to get through the front door. But I think I always felt like once I got in the door and showed my value, my race became completely irrelevant. And, and I just bought into, because I wasn't a great student in high school or college. I didn't apply myself really until the day after I graduated college or maybe the last semester of college when I wasn't playing football. Uh, that's when I started taking life very seriously. And that's when I got super competitive about my career as a journalist and things like that. And I was just determined to be better than everybody. And, and I didn't see being black as some sort of impediment. And I'm just telling you, I've never in my life thought, oh man, if, if I were white, 
X, Y, and Z would have happened to me. But that does seem to be the messaging of everything coming out of corporate media and popular culture is that, oh, if you're a woman, you got dealt a bad, you got dealt a bad hand. If you're a person of color, you got dealt a bad hand. Uh, and I, I just, I just reject all that. And so, Steve, you know, I don't know how that applies to being an Asian. Well, okay, you know, being Asian means, you know what, you guys are okay. You're not actually that oppressed. Your culture seems to be doing okay. We see all the liquor stores and uh, laundromats. You guys are white adjacent. See, I, I'm, we get the exact opposite. We're on the 180. But going back to what you and the ladies were talking about, I guarantee you last night if Serena Williams was watching that show based on our conversation a couple days ago, Jason, Serena's probably thinking, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. This is why I have to quit tennis at age 40 to take care of a kid. And here's the interesting thing. For years, and I don't know if this applies, there is a reason why women outlive men. That's a t statistical fact. And if you look at all the old black and white pictures of the pioneers and the building of America, and I see pictures of guys like a thousand feet up in the air on steel beams, eating their lunches, their ham sandwiches and their ding-dongs that their wives pack from. They're literally eating lunches on steel beams, right? That's their day. You look at the coal miners. You look at the men that, that really waged war, whether you agree with them or not. They're all men. Um, and I think the crime of modern-day feminism is that it's not about equality as it was maybe when it was hatched years ago. It is about convincing otherwise content, happy people and almost brainwashing them into being very, very aggrieved and angry. I think that's the biggest problem that I have with modern-day feminism. And I say that as a man. I get it. It's not my place. But you know what? I don't care. That's my opinion. Very good opinion. All right. So uh, have we, is this a thing? Should we watch again next week and have another discussion? Are we going to continue to watch? Is anybody thinking of bailing on the show. No, I'm going to watch it. I'm still going to watch it. Even though I, I gave it a six, I'm still going to watch it because I, I still need to know. I'm going to go into it with a different mindset, knowing that we're going to be talking about it. <laughs> Steve? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this weekend Come is on. week zero in college football. Amen. I mean, <laughs> I mean so then we're going to Nebraska Northwestern, let's go. What? Hey, look, Scott Frost's job is on the line. He might become Ned Starks if he doesn't win that game. Just stay in Ireland. If you can't beat Northwestern, you're going to get beheaded by Husker Nation. That's the truth. Okay, you got that new quarterback, Casey Thompson. You know what? Okay, for the team, because I am a team player, and I want to see the journey of D-Sizzle. I like Damon. I, I want more of Damon. I'm going to call this D-Sizzle. Yeah, I like D-Sizzle. You are a leader of men, and you're a good boss, and you're not a player's coach. I'm going to stick with it, okay? There. Are you happy? Jeez. Love me. I'm very happy. All right. Uh, let's get to our approval rating on George R.R. Martin. Uh, Jill and Steve will uh, have approval scores. Uh, Tiffany, chime in if you want to. Uh, we'll go uh, job performance first. Uh, I'll go first, then followed by Jill, then Steve. Uh, job performance, uh, he's an atheist. He's a Satanist. He's there to promote the woke feminist agenda. I think he's doing a great job. Uh, so I give him a 24 in job performance. I am giving him a 24 in job performance as well because he's very successful at what he does. Listen, 
we all, whether we like it or not, if we're going to watch again or not, we're all going to watch again. Let's be real. We all know it. 24. Okay. See? I'm going to go 15. I, I think he wrote some brilliant books, but I haven't they strayed from the books. And look, it's a great story. It's iconic. I admit I'm probably underrating him, but I don't like the fact that they didn't stick to the script. Maybe that's beyond his head, but uh, I'm going to stick with what I originally gave him. 15. Uh, character i find him uh, an atheist satanist uh you know he's pro hillary he hates trump he loves obama uh i give him a two in character he's a very low character individual to me slightly higher <laughs> i gave him a five uh atheist draft dodger he said that oh, that's right. obama was the most intelligent person since jimmy carter which means he thought Jimmy Carter was intelligent. Like, we five. No. Uh, Steve? Okay, I, I, I actually want to do, I didn't know all that about this guy. I really didn't. I just think, again, he, he's, a, he's a part of the system. He's one of these guys that's built to do a message. I don't have any hatred for him because we don't have to consume his product if we don't want to. Uh, I gave him a 15. And, Jill, wow, really rough on the peanut farmer. Jimmy Carter was okay. He was just a terrible president. Anyway. <laughs> but intelligent person, the most intelligent person. I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with Carter and Obama being considered intelligent, but the most intelligent, who knows? Uh, common sense is what I believe in, not book sense. Uh, I wish you I could say Obama is intelligent. I just the, the since Jimmy Carter point like that. <laughs> you, I'm not getting off that one. That's yeah. it. Uh, I wish I had remembered the draft dodge thing. But look, you know, he's only five foot six. What was he going to do in the military? Uh, shine shoes. I, I Air Force. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, authenticity. Uh, I actually think he's authentic. I, I think he says what he believes and believes what he says, and his books back up his worldview. Uh, so I'll give him a 22 in authenticity. Yeah, it probably should have been higher, but uh, I just don't like him, so I gave him an 11. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it real. Steve. All right. Well, me and Jill are in the same neighborhood. Authenticity, I think he's kind of backed away from the book and say, well, that's not really my story. I don't like that. I wish he would just at least just say, yeah. look, they screwed it up or look, keep it to the script. So I give him a Bo Derek, a 10. Mm, perfect 10 for Bo Derek. It factor. Uh, again, he's 5'6", looks like a <laughs> munchkin, looks like one of Santa's elves. I, I, though I will give him, you know. 73 years old, he's made it a long time, two different wives. His wife looks the same height and size as him. So I'll give him a two in it factor. Uh, just based on his success, I'll give him uh, a gigantic six there. Mm, uh, based on his success, Jill's in his bank account. Steve, <laughs> where are you well, at? Look, I don't know if he's J.K. Rowling, whatever series that was, um, that I never read a single word of, but he's successful. What Harry Potter? And, Harry Potter. Yeah, that thing, whatever. Um, I will give him a 20 because, look, this is a, an iconic franchise. When you look at the Mount Rushmore of HBO shows, if you go by what Jason says, it's The Wire, Sopranos, and then certainly The Game of Thrones has its place up there. Just for that, I think you have to give him a high grade. Again, I give him a 20. That's why it was a big six, not a little six. Just, you know. <laughs> all right. We all have him at candlelit. I've got him at 50, Jill at 46. Steve at 60. We took different routes. We all got to the same place. Uh, candlelit. Uh, great job, Tiffany, for your first appearance. Thank you. <laughs> on, uh, on Fearless. Awesome job. Can't wait. To
Steve Ford will be watching tonight's episode uh, with bells on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com. Uh, Fearless. More, I'm going to talk a little bit about Aqib Tlaib and Mike Hickman to wrap up the show. All right, welcome back. Uh, I wanted to spend a little time uh, today. I don't want to go overboard, but I wanted to spend some time today updating you on the Mike Hickman story, uh, the story we covered extensively last week. Uh, the 43-year-old Pee Wee football coach uh, murdered in Lancaster, Texas, just right outside of Dallas. Talked about it all last week. Jakob Tlaib uh, is in jail right now. Uh, for having shot and killed Mike Hickman. As we reported last week, Aqib Tlaib, uh, according to many witnesses, uh, instigated the brawl that eventually led to the shooting. Uh, we had on uh, several, three witnesses, eyewitnesses that were there that painted a picture of Aqib Tlaib's involvement in that. Aqib Tlaib, obviously, five-time Pro Bowl, NFL player, Super Bowl champion with the Denver Broncos, former member of the New England Patriots, a uh, member of the Los Angeles Rams. <clears throat> uh, the broadcaster, NFL broadcaster for Fox Sports, he had just taken a job with uh, Amazon uh, Sports in their Thursday night football uh, coverage. And Aqib Tlaib told Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, I believe earlier today or last night, that he is stepping away from uh, the Amazon broadcasting deal and all the media has put out the story. I'm looking at headlines from the New York Post to keep to leave to step away from Thursday night football job after brother's murder charge. Uh, MS NBC News, ex-NFL Aqib Tlaib stepping back from Thursday night football. Uh, TMZ, Aqib Tlaib stepping away from Amazon NFL job after brother charged with murder. Everybody's talking about Aqib Tlaib stepping away. And <clears throat> no one, again, obviously, Amazon isn't talking. And, and this all feels organized that Aqib Tlaib, Ian Rappaport tweeted out that he just talked to Aqib Tlaib and he's stepping away. This all feels like a negotiated exit or hitting pause on a broadcasting career that Aqib Tlaib and perhaps Amazon and other TV networks and other media outlets hope uh, continues. And again, this is the way that the elite, Aqib Tlaib made $70 million during his NFL career, Aqib Tlaib worked for Fox Sports and had a job with Amazon, and this is how the elite take care of each other. And it doesn't matter what they do, they'll always take care of each other. And so if anybody else, again, as we talked about last week, if Richie Incognito, if his brother, or if he had been involved in any way with a murder, in any way instigating the fight, given Richie Incognito's background, uh, there's no way this would be rolled out as he's stepping away and how everybody is being careful with how they portray Aqib Tlaib in this situation. 
only the elite, only the pampered, only the people that have joined in in the, in my opinion, satanic plot, uh, who's on board with that message, gets taken care of this way. Let's say uh, this were me, because again, this isn't a, a black thing, this is about are you on message? Do you represent the values that corporate culture supports? Are you part of the satanic plot? So he's not being taken care of because he's black. He's being taken care of because they like the way he has represented himself his entire career. He's represented himself on the field as a thug. He, he's done that. His history stays that. There's plenty of video of Aqib Tlaib instigating, involving himself in on-field conflicts. There's plenty of information. The Dallas Morning News, again, this is all part of, of, of how people are taken care of if they're on message. And Gene Jocks Taylor, who I used to be friends with, very solid journalist, he wrote a piece for the Dallas Morning News that I, th I thought went out of its way uh, to downplay, although the headline is, is about as aggressive as the corporate media can get. Tlaib Brothers bullying was problem before youth coaches' death. Gotta give the Dallas Morning News credit. That's about as aggressive as anybody in the mainstream corporate media is going to get. But the story takes a long winding road. You gotta read the whole story to, before you get to the fact that eyewitnesses say that Tlaib was the instigator of the entire conflict. So I just, he has stepped away from football. Amazon didn't have the balls to fire him or they cut some sort of deal. We'll let you walk away rather than fire you because again, they want an opportunity for Tlaib to come back into the broadcasting booth. There, there is, again, why is he this valuable? Seriously, Aqib Tlaib, very good NFL career. Probably has an argument for the Hall of Fame, five-time Pro Bowler, uh, you know, Super Bowl champion with the Denver Broncos on very good New England Patriots teams. Uh, probably has an argument, but does he deserve this kind of kid glove treatment, this kind of support he's getting from corporate media? Is he so valuable in the broadcast booth? Is he so good in the broadcast booth? This ain't Troy Aikman, this ain't Tony Romo, this isn't Charles Barkley. This is a guy that throughout his NFL and college career carried himself like a thug, courted that image that he was about that life. Why is corporate media bending over backwards for him? That should tell you about where corporate media is. They are in support of wickedness and evil and debauchery and criminality. I'm hoping uh, later today to uh, talk with some members of Mike Hickman's family. There have been stories that have come out in recent days uh, that the Hickman family uh, wants Aqib Tlaib charged, criminally charged, for his involvement in the murder of Mike Hickman. Again, you won't find that in corporate media. ESPN's not reporting on that, that Mike Hickman's family 
wants to keep to leave charged. Again, we love to talk about the victim and let's do right by the victim. Again, but Mike Hickman clearly doesn't fit the profile of the kind of victim that corporate media is comfortable championing for. Perhaps if he had a, a long criminal history like George Floyd, perhaps if he were hyped up on fentanyl like George Floyd, the corporate media would be more sympathetic and would be interested in seeing Hickman's family receive justice and for everybody involved in the murder of Mike Hickman to be brought to justice. But Mike Hickman doesn't fit that profile. He doesn't have a long criminal history as far as the reporting I've seen so far. And, and again, I'm hoping, I've talked with uh, people close to him on this show. I'm hoping to talk to some of his family members, wife, mom, uh, in the coming days. And I want, when we get this extra layer of information, I'm gonna be asking this audience to step up and myself, not just the audience, I'm gonna lead on this. We're gonna step up and support Mike Hickman's surviving family. He's got a young son who witnessed the murder of his father. He's got a wife who witnessed the murder of, his, of her husband. She was there in the stadium at the game. He's got two daughters. Mike Hickman has a mother that has lost her daughter, one of her daughters, to murder. One of her daughters that went to college, played college basketball, was a celebrated and beloved PE teacher at a school in Texas. Beloved. She was murdered. And now her son, who went to school on a football scholarship at North Texas, comes back to his community helping his kids and other kids as a peewee football coach, worked at DFW uh, Airport, he's murdered. I'm going to be asking myself and you in the audience to step up and support these people. Everybody else runs to support Jacob Blake, Michael Brown, George Floyd, Rayshard Brooks, Eric Garner, any criminal resisting arrest who gets harmed, the whole world rushes to support them and their family. We're going to step up and support Mike Hickman and his family. I hope to have those discussions today, tonight, and then tomorrow. I'm gonna ask us to get involved with making sure Mike Hickman's family is taken care of, his kids, his wife, his mother. All right, I just wanted to share that update with you. Uh, that's it and that's all, we'll see you tomorrow.
we all wanna be free. 